We're looking forward to that event coming up April 24th and 25th. Coming off of Easter, we wanted to have a big event and, uh, and uh, I think that uh, helping with marriages is something that we can all use and so we're excited about having that event coming up that day. So keep, mark your calendar. I just wanted to get that out to you early. Uh, today, I want to talk to you about continue what you have learned. And in our culture today, anything that is new is usually considered better. And if you say stuck, you're, you're stuck in your old ways or you're doing it the way you've always done it, people will say, well, that's a bad thing to do because you need to be innovating. You need to be trying something new. You need to be coming up with some kind of a new knowledge or a, a new way of coming at it. And that can be true in some respects. But there are some things that have been true for always. And they, they haven't changed. They have, I mean, meanings of words don't change. They are true and they're still true. And I had a couple examples. Today in the Christian churches, we have a couple things that we like to come up with new things, and that is in behaviors. We come up with ideas that for 2,000 years, and from the foundation of the Bible, a word in the Bible or certain things meant one thing. And the people that were there in the first century said this is what it means, everybody after that. And then all of a sudden, 2,000 years later, somebody discovers that everybody before them was wrong. Everybody before them did not understand what this word meant. And we now, maybe I've talked about with more scientific discovery or something like that, we have come up with a way that we can justify new behaviors. And these behaviors are okay because we've come up with a new way of thinking. And the old way of thinking, that first century patriarchal thing, we're going to change that. And we're going to come up with this new idea. And so that's one of the areas that we come up with. And that has come up with all different ways. People have used the Bible to justify all kinds of horrible things. Um, racial behavior, they've, uh, you know, discrimination, everything they've come up with, behaviors, and they've tried to use the Bible to do that, even though that's not what the Bible meant. Another area, it seems like it comes up with the end times. People like to come up with a, a theory. Now, and the newest one that I've seen a couple people come up with, and um, I'm not advocating this, just for the record, is the coronavirus. This is a new, new end times thing. And one teaching that I have heard is that the word corona means crown, and uh, the word corona means crown. Thus it means in Revelation 13, 1, that I saw a beast rising out of the sea with ten horns and seven heads, with ten, ten diadems on its horns, and blasphemous names on its heads. With the word is diadems or crowns there. So actually the crown of the coronavirus is what was meant when John was writing about the crowns on the beast. Thus, the coronavirus is what Paul or what John meant in the book of Revelation. And both of these things are taking modern things that we want to explain. We want to come up with something new because this is exciting. I saw the guy presenting this. I showed it to my family and he was excited to share this new understanding of the Bible and how the coronavirus now explains things. And I and it, I'm sure he's starting a panic, and he's basically saying that's a sign of the end times, which we're all hoping that Jesus returns, so that's a positive thing. But it's not based on the times. Um, it's based on the times, not what the Bible actually means. 
And there's a lot of interpretation in the Bible like based on time and not on the in, intentional or the end of what it originally meant. These ideas may use Scripture, but, but distort and will draw people away from the historical gospel that leads to salvation. When we do things like this, when we take the Bible and we try to squeeze it into a, our modern culture some way, we actually cause people to lose faith in the gospel. Because if you think to yourself, that sounds really stupid. Christianity must be really stupid. Okay, when we try to twist things, or when we try to make things, well, how come it meant one thing for 2,000 years, and now all of a sudden you came up with what it means now? Was every, I mean, it makes us look wrong, and when this prediction is wrong, when I've talked about before, when everybody knew Christ was going to turn in 1988, there, I've read the testimonies of people saying, I lost faith in the Bible after that. Because if that's what it truly said, and my pastor told me that's what it truly said, then I'm not going to trust it for anything else. Well, the past, those teachers were wrong because they didn't go with what the Bible originally said. So Paul, there's a lot of positive, the positive new thing that you can do, when somebody comes up with a new thing, just so you know, the positive new thing is, I have a new idea. Let's go back and find out what the Apostle Paul meant, what the Apostle John meant, what Jesus meant, because sometimes we have strayed from that, so the new thing we need to do is to continue in what Christ has said originally. That's the new thing. That's what happened in the Reformation. That's what happened in revivals. The people have come and said, we have lost this, thus the new thing is the old thing that we lost. So Paul knows his time is short and he's talking to Tim Timothy. He knows he's going to tell him what really matters as we've been talking about. And after last week, he was talking to him about living in the last days. And he talked about the people that were false teachers in the last days and the focus of these people and the, how the church should act in the last days. And then in verse 10, he says, you, however, are different from those people. You do not act like the false teachers. You should not be like those people. You should be a different way. And this whole passage revolves around verse 14. But as for you, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed. Continue in this. This is the whole focus of everything. Continue, which means a, a positive action that continues on. It's not just a one-time thing. Continue in it. Know what you have believed. Know that it is worthwhile believing and continue in it. Look to the source of truth. And we're going to talk about how we're supposed to do that. When you are confused and you don't know where to turn, go back to the foundation of truth, which is God. Go back to the foundation. Many of the times that we've gotten off the path is because we've gotten away from the foundation of the truth. He says, continue what you have believed. Don't go with these things. The false teachers came up with word ideas. They came up with new ideas of how we're supposed to live based on mixing uh, Greek philosophy with with uh, Christianity, they came up with practices that you were supposed to follow. But you know, what he is saying is, go back to the roots. Go back to what I taught you. I am an apostle. Go back to me. Continue in what you have learned is the foundation. And the first thing he tells him is continue in the path of those who taught you. Continue in that path. And he says in verse 14, if you look at the last part of verse 14 that I didn't have out there before is knowing from whom you learned it. Who did you learn it from? 
You've probably been asked from your, your parents that you come home and you say, I heard, on the, I heard today that the sky is actually orange. And your mom said to you, who told you that? And you say, well, the kid in the bus told you. Well, if the kid in the bus told you to jump off a cliff, you've you probably heard that before, right? You're going to listen to him. All right? You have to take the source. All right? If you have a mechanic whose car is broken down by the side of the road a lot, don't use him as a mechanic. You know, I, I just don't. I, I, I've used that over and over again. If you have a doctor that comes in and he's, you know, grossly overweight, smoking a cigarette, you know, going, hey, what's up? You, know, you just think, hey, this guy's not healthy. All right? You, you know who you have learned it from. Know who you have learned it from and know that they are the source. Do they know, do they know what they're talking about? Do they have actual knowledge? People take things on, whether it's the internet or whether it's this, people will say they're a doctor, people will say they have some, you know, made-up degree or they have some pedigree. Find out if they actually know what they're talking about. And you know what the Apostle Paul says? The Apostle John and the Apostle Peter and the writers in the New Testament, we knew Jesus directly. What we are telling you, the beginning of John says, 1 John, what we saw with our own eyes, what we heard with our ears, we tell you right now. So their opinion means more than some teacher today. It means more than your pastor who's standing up right here. Because if I don't tell you what the Bible says, it doesn't have value. I mean, it might have some value. I have opinions, you know, how you can maybe do certain things and all that. That's great. But the value of the scripture is what really matters. So at first, who taught him? Who is the people that he learned from? And we see in 2 Timothy 1.5 that he was taught by his mother and his grandmother. Uh, it said in verse, uh, chapter 1, verse 5, it says, I am reminded of your sincere faith, a faith that dwelt first in your grandmother, Lois, and your mother, Eunice, and now I am sure dwells in you as well. He was brought up in the scriptures, showed him the path. You saw the example of the faith that was lived out in them, and the results. So he talks about the fact that you have people in the faith that have shown you the way. But most importantly, he says, follow me. You followed me, he said. You know what it was like. You were with me when all this stuff happened. You saw how I was. Have you ever heard the, somebody say, you never want to meet your hero because you're going to be disappointed? You meet your hero and all of a sudden, they're just a terrible person. I've heard of people that have wanted to get an autograph from somebody. They've always wanted to meet this person. They've always looked up to them. The person's just a jerk to them. All right? And you just walk away going, man, I just lost you know, somebody that I can really look up to. Timothy looked up to Paul. And Paul is willing to say, look up to me because I have shown you the way and you've lived with me long enough to know that I am a worthwhile person to follow. You've seen the results. You've seen how I am when life's under pressure. You've seen behind the closed doors. Because there's a lot of people that walk out, put on the smile, and they look great. But behind closed doors, you don't want to be around them. You hear this with uh, famous people a lot, or politicians, or a anybody you know, who they are behind closed doors compared to who they are in real life. But Timothy, he was given the opportunity to see the Apostle Paul in reality. In fact, 2 Timothy 1-2, uh, Paul writes to Timothy, my beloved child, 
2 Timothy 2, 1, he says, You then, my child, he has said, I have treated you as a father to a son. You, I have invested in you and gave you an example of the faith. So what should he follow about Paul and what should we follow about Paul? The first thing he says in verse 10 is, You, however, have followed my teaching. He said, follow my teaching. And why do we follow the Apostle Paul's teaching? Because the Apostle Paul is, a, is an apostle who has seen Jesus. He has experienced Jesus. Thus, he was an apostle. Thus, he has the ability to write Scripture. Thus, he can walk into a place and say, I am an apostle, and you will listen. Thus, when the Apostle Paul writes a letter, it's more than when I write a letter. It's more than when anybody else writes a letter. His letters are inspired by God and become Scripture. Follow the teaching. And what does Paul always say about his teaching? Follow the teaching. Follow me as I follow Christ. Follow me as I follow Christ's teaching. He will say, I am teaching you from what I learned from Christ, from what I learned from him and what he has inspired me to teach. So the first thing he says is you must follow me as your mentor because I am at the teaching of Christ. But then he also uses the next word. He says, my conduct, my aim in life, this is in verse 10, my faith, my patience, my love, and my steadfastness. The other thing, and this is so important, and Paul is obsessed with this idea, and we should too. It's important that if you are a Christian, you should let your body and your behavior know it. All right? This whole concept of, well, I'm saved, but I don't act like it, is not a concept that Paul takes lightly. He doesn't, he says, no. He says, if I say one thing and do another, don't follow me. I say you should do something. I don't do it. I say you should pray. Do you ever pray? Not really. But I think it's a good idea. I've heard it's great. You know, um, do you, you know, have an investment. I have, I've heard from some people, they said, uh, a couple of people they went to college with are now financial advisors, and they said, they, I was a roommate with one of them. I heard this from a friend. I won't tell you who it is. And they said, well, that person was the worst spender of money I've ever seen in my life, and now they're a financial advisor. I don't want them. <laughs> I, I just don't, okay? Because they may tell you this, but they don't believe it enough themselves. If Paul says, I will act as Christ acts, and then he acts as Christ acts, you're going to believe him. Look at my conduct. Now that is putting yourself out there. That is saying, follow my conduct because it's worth following. And you know what it also means? When you're wrong, admit that you're wrong. That's one of your conduct. And he talks about follow my faith, patience, love, and steadfastness. Those are all Christian virtues. Next, they're all Christian virtues of the faith and things that he should follow. He says, follow what I do, not just my teaching. And then the next thing he says, my persecutions and sufferings that happened to me in Antioch, in verse 11, at Iconium and at Lystra, which persecutions I endured, yet from all of them the Lord rescued me. Okay, so he brings up really early persecutions. He talks about, he's trying to go back and said, you've seen me from the beginning. How I handled persecution way back to the beginning. But I want to talk to you about this story of Lystra. And use it as an illustration. He brings up, this is Timothy's hometown, which he probably was, saw this persecution. And if you, in Acts 14, 19 through 23, Timothy saw this happen. Uh, Acts 14 says, 
But Jews came from Antioch and Iconium, and having persuaded the crowd, they stoned Paul and dragged him out of the city, supposing he was dead. This is his light little persecution, by the way. And when the disciples gathered about him, he rose up and entered the city, and on the next day he went on with Barnabas to Derbe, where when they had preached the gospel to that city and had made many disciples, they returned to Lystra and to Iconium and to Antioch, strengthening the souls of the disciples, encouraging them to continue in the faith, and saying that through many tribulations we must enter the kingdom of God. Basically what he's saying is, remember that example where they almost killed me? That's the example he uses. But here's, and I, I was reading a couple way people have looked at this, is he's saying, you took me, they took me on that day, and they stoned me to the point they thought I was dead. All right? So I'm assuming this is really bad. That they didn't just throw a rock at him and go, eh, he's fine. He, he, and I'm sure he doesn't look good. No, they threw many stones at him and they were convinced that he was dead. They drug him outside, left him there. And then when they came to him, the disciples, he jumped up and started teaching. Now, he says, I was delivered. How was he delivered? He was delivered, if you look in verse 11, he, was deli- he endured it, but the Lord rescued me. He was rescued by the fact that God gave him strength to go through it, caused him to rise up. He goes back into the city and he starts preaching and he tells them that you're going to have to go through persecution and he strengthens them and they say, well, do you have any, can you tell us about persecution? Do you have any examples of it? Yes, I was just stoned almost to death. I rose up and came here and I'm going to tell you that God will strengthen you. Okay, I'm going to listen to this guy. And so what he is trying to say is, look at my example. Look at what happened to me and understand that God delivered him. He's going to say, Paul is, the the whole point of delivery is different than what we think. He delivered him so that he could do something with the persecution. I am saying those stones hurt. I'm not saying that those stones became like marshmallows. That's what we think of deliverance. Okay, they're throwing stones at him. All of a sudden, an angel comes down and turns them into marshmallows. And we don't have to feel any pain because we're Christians and we have faith and we can rise above all persecution and we never have anything. He was stoned to the point that he's bleeding and bloody and looks like he is dead. That's bad. But he rose up and came back and preached the gospel after this. And... We understand that Paul, was deliver- that Paul was delivered. Psalm 34, 4 puts it this way. I sought the Lord and he answered me and delivered me from all my fears. The answer is he delivered him so that he can encourage the believers. He delivered him to the point where he said, I'm going to have you keep going in the faith and use this for your, for your good. Now when he jumps to verse 12, he says, Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. So he tells them, you saw that I was persecuted. You saw how unfair that was of what the Jews did to me. And you saw how God used me. So when you're persecuted, do what I did. Expect God to do something with it. Expect God to do something mighty with the persecution. But understand, 
persecution is coming. And then go back to last week when we talked about the fact that this is the last days. Persecution is part of the last days. If we expect the world to like us, if the world likes us, we're probably not doing everything right. That is a hard thing to accept because I like people liking me. I really do. I don't like it when I make people mad. I don't like it when I do something and it bothers them. I, don't, I like being a part of a group. I like agreeing with people. One of the, my favorite things is one of my favorite weeks, and I've seen, heard it with other people, one of my favorite weeks to do every year growing up in Bemidji was to go to uh, Bible camp for a week where I wasn't the, one of the only Christian kids in the place. It was like the one week where you could kind of go, okay. Not that everybody was perfect at Bible camp. I'm not trying to say that. But for the most part, you've got you know, services every night, people dedicating themselves to God, and you're like, but for the other 51 weeks? No. There's people persecuting. There's people telling, saying stuff behind your back. There's people that are saying things to your face. There are people that are calling you names. There's people that are doing this. And the persecution is going to come if you're a Christian. But understand this. It's going to come, but God's going to use it for something. And God is going to use that for the sake of the gospel whether it's the fact that you're going to be stoned to the point of death. He gave him that example. Don't look at that as a negative. Say, what is God going to do with this? What is God going to do? And this is part of the, part of the, the thing we should understand. The next thing is he says, continue to follow the word of God. And if we start with verse 15, and from your childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped with every good work. You see, Timothy, it says right away, was taught the Bible from his birth. It says in verse 15, And from your childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings. And this would have been the Old Testament at this time. He was taught the Old Testament. And it says about this, those writings that you were taught by your mother and your grandmother brought you to the faith in Christ Jesus. Think about this scripture. When the disciples meet Jesus after he has been resurrected, what does it say? He opened up the scriptures to him and showed them from the Old Testament what had happened to him and the gospel from that. The Old Testament is not just thrown away and said, oh, we're done with that now. It is available to us to show us who Christ is and what he had to suffer and how he had to die. He said, you were trained up in this. You were brought up as a child. Now use the, what you were trained up as a child as as a way for you to grow in your faith. The key to true scripture, the key to everything about faith is, was it wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus? So many times people have been used, Scripture has been used to kind of come down on people and to judge people or perhaps just to be argued about or just maybe to memorize for no thing. Scripture needs to be wise for salvation. We should be using the Bible to bring up children, not to crush them under the load of the Bible. And sometimes the Bible, we talk about this with legalism, I talk to this with about people that have been raised in, quote, Christian homes where the Bible was used to shame them and guilt them 
and all of this, but they were never told that it's being used for their salvation so that they can be redeemed, so that they can be forgiven, so they can rise up out of their sins. Yes, it exposes sin. Yes, it causes conviction in us. But no, it's not supposed to drive us down. It's supposed to bring us up for salvation. And if it isn't bringing you up for salvation, you're not teaching it correctly. You're not getting the point of it. Another thing that comes out of this is it lets me know how important it is for us as parents that we should be doing this with our own children. Asking your children about the Bible, reading the Bible to them, asking them about Scripture, showing them the, the Scriptures of the Bible and teaching them, asking them as they come to Children's Church or as they come to Wednesday night or things like that, asking them what they've learned and helping them apply those Scriptures because what happens as a parent is something that we are called to do. And also that we all, he says right here, should all become acquainted with the sacred writings. You know, one of the biggest problems that we are having in our world today is most people in Christian churches are not acquainted with the sacred writings of the Bible. They come to church, they may hear a couple of verses here or there, or maybe they don't come to church or they come to church every once in a while, but they're not taking the study of the Bible seriously themselves. They're not getting involved in the scripture and they're not diving in because we are supposed to be acquainted with the scriptures. It should be a friend. It should be with us all the time. That's the reason that we have a devotions available for you. One of the greatest things that has come out recently is the Bible app. If you haven't used that, check out the Bible app. It's got all kinds of devotional plans to walk you through going through biblical things, biblical themes, you know, things like that. I go through it every year. I read through the Bible every year. But we need to be acquainted with the Scriptures so that it can do something in our lives. And he's saying that this is what you need to continue. But why the Scriptures? Why the sacred writings? Because in verse 16 he says, All Scripture is breathed out by God. If it truly comes from God, it means that it's valuable. Okay? If it is made by God, if it is inspired by God, the word God breathed there means to inspire and to make sure that it is done with God's uh, protection and God's inspiration and God's stamp on it. He uses common people, but he inspires them by his spirit so that they say what God wants to say. So when you read the scripture, you can take it that it has God's stamp of approval on it. That God has said that this is a good product. Now you may have a whole understanding of what a good product is, but sometimes you look at something and you look at it and say, well, this was made by this person. This was made by this company. Everybody here probably has a favorite brand or something like that. And when you see that brand, I remember, for me in computer stuff, I see a certain brand and I just kind of go, okay, we'll just set this one over here. All right? I'm not going to pick out a brand here. But there's other brands you say, I know they make good stuff and they stand behind their products and I trust them. Maybe you're into cars and you say, well, I like this kind of car because I know what they make. I know how they back it up or you're into whatever you have in your life, the kind of clothing that you like because you know it's of good quality. The Bible is inspired by God. No greater brand name can be put on it than it is God-inspired. It is the best book that you can pick up because it's inspired by God. You, you can trust what it says. It's not going to lead you astray. It's not going to change tomorrow. God has taken into account all of you, all of creation for this 
And not only that, it is profitable. It has value. How does it have value? For reproof. It can clear up bad teaching. When you are talking to somebody that has bad teaching, here's what you don't do. You're wrong and you're stupid. That is not an argument. But it is a common argument. Okay? Or, uh, this is my other favorite one. Well, I believe that you're wrong. Okay. I believe lots of things. I keep believing that the Twins are going to win the World Series. I mean, I, doesn't mean they're going to. All right? I believe lots of things. I want it to happen. I believe it's going to happen. I have hope. You know, they, they killed me last year. But, you know, close. But, you know, I keep believing. But I can say, when I want to correct something, I'm going to say, but the Scripture says. That's how you reprove somebody. And you don't slam it in their face and say, the Scripture, bam, and you get a really big Bible like that one over there. Just whack them with it and say, this is God-inspired whacking. <laughs> okay, that is not what you do. That is not why it is God-breathed, okay? I just want to say, see, I have an iPad to whack it. I don't want to hurt that. But, you know, you just don't want to hit them with that. But the reproof comes not from you then, it comes from Scripture. You see the difference? Well, you're just mean. I'm sorry, the Scripture says this. But you're mean. I'm sorry, the Scripture says You just keep pointing back to it, see? And the next thing is a positive thing. It's for correction. Hopefully, by the reproof, and he's talking about false teachers, it puts somebody on the correct path. It's what keeps us on that correct path when we are following what the Scripture says. Not our own opinions, not what we heard some great teacher that we thought knew everything, not what we have the newest fad or the newest whatever, that we stay correct path from this. But most importantly, I think, for Paul is the next part when he says, for training in righteousness, and it goes on to verse 17, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. Because the Bible is what is going to help us to become the person that follows after God and is trained in righteousness, which is doing what is right, and becoming a person so that when a, somebody comes into you and says, are you a Christian? They come to you, and because you're a Christian, they have a certain expectation. This person is honest. This person will do good work. This person comes to work. They are a Christian, even if they can't stand their job. We all have those days where we just don't want to do it or the boss is being mean or all of this. That as a Christian, you say, I've been paid today. I will not rob this company. I will give them my work today, even though they're being wrong. And trust me, I know that feeling. It's like, I don't want to be here, but you give it your best. You get along with other people. When people are jerks to you, you don't use the school ground thing. If they hit me first, I get to hit them back. As a Christian, you don't act that way. You, don't, you act differently. Training in righteousness means following the Scripture so that you may be ready for every, you may be complete and equipped for every good work. It says in Ephesians that God has set up in advance for you. You have good works that he wants you to do. He has things that he has for you to accomplish. You are not accidentally where you are today. You are not in the job today that you are at by accident. You are not in the town that you live in by accident. 
You're not the school that you go to by accident. God has good works for you to accomplish at that school, at that work, at the, with your family, with whatever. You say, I don't know why I'm here. Thank God God does. All right? And when he's ready to move you on, he'll move you on. But you have something there to accomplish. Every good work so that you may shine in a community that needs somebody to shine. That you may show them the, the truth of God's love to people that don't know love. That you may be consistent with the scripture. Another thing it says that the man of God may be complete. That we have what we need from God. Not what we want, what we need. We have everything from the scripture that we have to make us complete. I've had so many people ask me questions. Just recently I had somebody ask me, where did Satan come from? And you know what I gave him as the answer? The Bible does not tell us. Well, that's not right. I didn't write it. I'm just letting you know. Okay, it doesn't tell us. It doesn't tell us. Why did, why did God create Satan? That would seem like a bad idea. You know, could have got, gotten by without that. Right? But, but we have in Scripture everything we need that the man of God may be complete. Well, what about, you know, going back to the coronavirus thing or going back to this little thing that somebody wants to go, we aren't given all the details. We're not given every detail about, you know, the end times or about everything. We're given exactly what we need to be complete. And we have to be content with that and know that this is what God knows that we want, that we need. So we come back to verse 14. Continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed knowing who you, have, who you have followed. Knowing this, God is calling us today to come back to Scripture, to come back to the example of the apostles, to come back to, to what God has called us to do. And you know what? I want you to tell you this. It's going to be uncomfortable. It's not going to match up with what the world is telling you that is true. It's not always going to be that way because the truth of God is eternal Things change all the time in our world. Things that are right one day are wrong the next day. People are treated one way, this way, this way, that way. But God's truth is eternal, and we know we can follow him if we stay with his truth and know that what he has said was true when he said it, still true today, and it is profitable to make us complete and ready for every work that he has for us. Why don't you stand with me right now? For our prayer ministers could come forward. If you're here today and you've never accepted Christ into your life, you've never made a commitment to Jesus Christ, we always want to give an opportunity at the end of every service that you may know the truth and you may become a follower of Jesus Christ. It says that what is pre preached in Scripture will bring us to the faith that leads to salvation, the knowledge that leads to salvation, that it's something that we have. And today is the day to make that commitment. So if you're here and you've never made that commitment and you want to know what it's like to be a follower of Christ, to have your life, your sins forgiven, everything that you have done forgiven by God, and also to know what it's like to be a, a new person in Christ and changed by Him, come and talk to one of our prayer ministers. Also, if you're just here, you just need someone to pray with you. You need someone to pray with you about a need in your life, they're here for you today. But... Let it be known. Continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed.
Continue in this. Don't stray from the path. Don't think that there's another way because this, if we truly believe that Christ is the answer and we truly believe that he gave to the apostles and he breathed scripture through Paul, through John, through Mark, through Matthew, through the whole Old Testament, if we truly believe that this is profitable, it is going to change our lives and it is something that we can hold on to. Don't listen when somebody says they've got a new way or they've discovered that everything that we thought for thousands of years in the Scripture isn't true. Unless they're coming back and fixing something that we may have missed, which, you know, the, unless they're bringing us back to the roots where we have strayed, they're not telling you the truth. Stay with what God, what you have firmly believed. Don't follow the false teachers because the Bible says in the last days there will be false teachers and they will lead you astray. You've been, it tells you, it's very clear that it has been, it's been there for us. So let's just right now make the commitment to really seek after God, to really get after what God has called us to do. Firmly go after what we firmly believe and what we've learned in the Scripture. Lord, we thank you today. We thank you today, God, that we have your Scripture. We have the example of those who went before us. We have the example of the Apostle Paul. We have, we have positive and negative examples in the Bible, people that have shown us how not to live, God. You show us so many examples in the Bible of, of what not to do as well as what to do. And God, let us be people that are followers of you, God, that we can say, as Paul does, imitate us as we imitate Christ. That we will become disciples of others, God, through the good works that you do in us, God. Because all of this is possible because we go back to the roots of what we have learned. We follow those who went before us, God, that showed us the way. And God, we just keep Scripture as the foundation of the truth that we have. We ask this now in the precious name of Jesus, God. Keep us firmly rooted in you. Amen. Now go and connect with one another. Remember, we have an offering. I forgot to announce this. We have an offering for Donnell. If you'd like to, uh, as you leave, our ushers will be in the back for that.